0: All right and welcome to the broadcast of Better Together, Democrats and Republicans Who Love America, episode 65. So last episode, uh, I wanted to go into the environmental, uh, well, technologies that are happening. It's a lot. I'm pulling up one right now. We're going to call these environmental tech. Popular Sciences. Nick Hilden. August 4th. Best home wind turbines of 2022. Harness your backyard breeze. When most people considering upgrade their homes to take advantage of sustainable energy, they write they run right to the solar panels without considering other options like wind turbines. While residential wind turbines doesn't typically generate enough power on its own to power a house entirely, it can handle a substantial portion of your power needs. It's enough to drastically reduce your energy bills, and when paired with solar panels and other sustainable power, makes off-grid living possible. Whether you want to do your own part to help energy grid go green, give your home its own sustainable power source, or simply want to take a bite out of your energy bills, the best home wind turbines provide a reliable source of sustainable electricity wherever the wind blows, which is a lot in San Francisco, especially in my neighborhood by the beach. Best overall, TUMO INT, so T U M O I N T one thousand. 000- W, which must be Watt, three blades wind turbine, that's best overall. Best Backyard, Automax, A-U-T-O-M-A-X-X, Windmill 1500 watt wind turbine, Best System, A-U-E-C-O-O-R, 800 watts, 12 volt, 24 volt solar panel wind turbine kit, Best Small, Pacific Sky Power Survival Wind Turbine Generator. Best off the grid, Ramson, R-A-M, S-O-N-D, Atlas, L-M, 3500 wind turbine, best budget, Pika, Solat, P-I-K-A-S-O-L-A, wind turbine generator kit, how we pick the best home wind turbines. As a tech nut, and green energy enthusiast i have covered a wide range of sustainable energy products for the like of Popular Science, Scientific America, The Daily Beast, The Manual, and more. These extensively researched selections represent the best wind turbines available right now based on a combination of first-hand trials, input from the industry, professionals, impressions from real buyers. One critical caveat, in light on, on, of ongoing supply chain issues, we've elected to focus on turbines that are regularly available from major retailers like Amazon and Home Depot. There are several well-respected options that we've elected to leave out at this time. As they've not been in stock, and may not be available again for the foreseeable future. We will update the story as more choices become widely available. What to consider when buying a wind turbine? Not all residential wind turbines are created equal. Many don't generate enough power to make a meaningful difference for many homes. Some are prohibitively expensive or too large for residential use. Whatever the case, there are a few things to consider when choosing a wind turbine for your home. What you can get out of a wind turbine a home wind turbine. According to the Energy Information Administration, the average home in the U.S. uses approximately 10,000 kilowatt hours per year. To generate that much power, you need an alternative energy source that can harness nearly 30 kilowatts per day. Um, realistically, you aren't going to generate that much power using wind turbines. With ideal wind conditions, a single home turbine kit should produce about 3 kilowatts per day. To take To fully take advantage, sorry, to fully take your home off grid, you'll need several industrial grade wind turbines and a combination of wind turbines and solar panels, the kind you install on your roof and your backyard, as opposed to the portable kind. If you adjust your expectations, though, you can get a lot out of even a single home wind turbine. A. Turbine that generates a maximum output of 400 watts will give you up to 1.3 kilowatts per day. That's enough to shave 4% off an average 30 kilowatt electricity bill, or power fridge and a few small devices if the power goes out. We recommend shooting for the as largest as possible output. That fits your budget and home. Some of our tops are 1,000 water higher, which can knock an average energy bill down by 10% or provide a moderate amount of backup power. Who should buy a wind turbine? Wind turbines can produce a fair amount of green electricity for you, but they need to be placed well. That means you need to take a good hard look at your property and figure out whether wind power makes sense. With freestanding turbines, you typically want large open spaces like a field, large yard, or hilltop position. For a rooftop turbine, you'll need to find a spot on your roof that won't be obstructed by trees so you can secure the turbine safely. Make sure your roof can handle the weight and probably you shouldn't be at a sharp incline. You don't want a wide open space or safe spot on your roof that isn't obstructed you won't be able to get the maximum output from the turbines in that case you may want to look for other ways of generating sustainable energy type of wind turbine wind turbines vary greatly from size form power output and installation. the one that is right for you depends on your home space power needs and building experience some wind turbines are small and designed to be installed directly onto your roof they take advantage of the faster winds that i've been talking about this for so long I'm so glad that it's actually happening I have been talking about this idea about the wind, roof, turbines, rooftop for so long. Yay. (sighs) What's happening? (laughs) They take advantage of the faster winds that tend to whip over your house. Yes, exactly. Like everywhere in San Francisco in the sunset. They're usually less expensive, but they typically generate small power outputs. Also, you need to install them on your roof, which may be dangerous. Standalone turbines need to be significantly more powerful, but are usually more expensive and require a lot of open space, like field or unblocked hilltop. Yeah, it's probably safer. They're also often difficult to install. A rooftop turbine is relatively straightforward to bolt in place, while standalone turbines require digging to seat the pole, structural support, running wires to the house, and so on. Last, boat owners can install small marine turbines to help power devices and equipment. While they don't produce all that much power, they're built to withstand maritime conditions. It can be a great way to ensure your batteries stay topped off. Wind speed in your area. All of the specs about power production for wind turbines highlight the best output under ideal wind conditions. The average wind speed where you live can be a huge role in picking the right right turbine for your home. To understand how wind speed Hacks a turbine, you'll need to define a few terms, starting with wind speed, the speed at which the blades turn but don't yet produce usable power, rate wind speed, the speed at which turbines reach a maximum energy output, save for survival wind speed, the maximum speed before the turbine becomes vulnerable to damage. Check your local wind averages, including average lows and highs, to make sure that a particular turbine suits your area. Look for a turbine that starts wind speed below your local average to ensure it works often. If you live somewhere where severe weather conditions occur regularly, safe speed would also be very important. Installation and maintenance. Anytime you're messing with your home electrical system, first rule of thumb is hire a professional if you don't know what you're doing. Install a wind turbine takes a fair amount of know-how. Some of the turbines are very heavy, risk of injury is high, doubt you'll be getting on your roof. Um, Even if you manage to set up the turbine, you'll still need to connect to your home's power, which you leave to a professional. Realistically, most people should consult with a contractor or electrician for this type of installation. Also, keep in mind your wind turbine will need long-term maintenance. While some designed to operate for a few decades without a tune-up, you will occasionally want an expert to come and look at your system over and make repairs as needed. Price, like solar generators and virtually any type of power storage. Home wind turbines are usually expensive. They come in a wide variety of sizes and prices from a few hundred dollars to a few thousand. Moreover, when we've highlighted comparatively good options, at many price points, the turbine that generates meaningful amount will be fairly expensive. Like installing solar panels in and around your home, you should think of setting up wind turbine as a home improvement project and investment. If you buy a better turbine, you'll notice bigger difference in your energy bills and likely recoup the cost of installing it more quickly. Our favorite residential word, wind turbines are made for many purposes and budgets. Some offer a substantial step toward personal energy dependence, while others offer a small amount of backup power. Whatever you're looking for, there should be a turbine for you on the list. Best overall TUMO INT 1000 watt, 3 blades, 48 volt wind turbine generator kit. While it made the cut, the TUMO INT 1000 W watt delivers solid power output combined with re- reliable design and relatively affordable price specs form factor, standalone rated power thousand watt max output start at one speed at six MH rated wind speed, 28 MH safe wind speed at 90 miles an hour pros, strong at reliable output design, automatic direction adjustment, low noise and vibration cons, wind turbine fire i really understand that you'll need to power wind turbine to make sure dent your energy bill well placed so this one's placed in like an open field um a thousand watt can deliver a type that kind of power it performs well lower wind speeds, and boasts a number of features you won't find in lesser turbines, such as automatic direction adjustment for boosting efficiency. It's made to last for rate of 15 years of maintenance-free operation, features electromagnetic over-speed protection, overcharge protection, increase its lifespan. It's also just solidly built. to can survive a bad tropical storm or even a low-level hurricane. Oh, I don't know. We're going to go all through that? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know that we're going to go through every single spec on here I think we're not (laughs) so you're gonna go back and play and write notes and look it up yourself online is what we're gonna do okay (laughs) because that is a lot of information yes Uh, first world wind turbine with recycled blades is up and spinning okay yeah the recycled blades is great it's an Koskowski offshore wind farm in Germany, first commercial installation of recyclable wind turbine tech. Do I have to read it all? I don't. Pull jet fuel from thin air—we can do that. I believe I've already talked on this, large and small. Right now, the vid—yeah, I've already talked on this. I think in a former podcast episode. So we're gonna move past that. But yes, they can vacuum it out of the air. It's not as good as you know, stopping the pollution in the first place. But it's a nice adjunct technology that we've had for a long time, too. Um, South Korean plant fueled by plastic waste. Now, that one looks really interesting. Oh, it's an interview. But let's see if I can close captioned. Come on. And we'll go back and come on. No, 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 no. Okay. South Korean companies uh mix now burning garbage to make cement. South Korean plant fueled by plastic waste. Six, okay, the six-year-old cement maker is born in two, born in three thousand tons of synthetic resin waste was used um, plastics, textiles, tires every day. Run its planting Donia city on South Korea's east coast. The company says by burning plastic waste for fuel, it has been able to cut coal use by thirty percent and lower the gross carbon emissions by three point. Percent from 2018. Korean cement makers are increasingly pressured to cut emissions as part of the nation's goal. The lower emissions 40% from 2018 levels by 2030 industry emits. About 10% total carbon generated from Korean industries according to Korean Trade Ministry. Some young scientists said killings which reached up to 2,000 degrees Celsius can stream emissions and there's no problem on health and environment. However, critics say that burning plastic still produces carbon dioxide emissions that accelerate global warming and South Korea lacks regulations to monitor heavy metals. That was it? Okay. So, I mean, should we do that or not then, South Korea? <laughs> They're burning the plastic, but it's not helpful. So that seems like we need to figure out a way to vacuum that away, the pull jet fuel from the thin air, maybe pull the plastic emissions from the South Korean plant, (laughs) perhaps. Okay. Do I wanna read this? Okay, Michigan, you know, the Flint water crisis wasn't enough, now you gotta pour cancer-causing chemicals into the Great Lakes. Yep. Video, so let's get the CC. they on? They're not on. Okay, come on. What is going on with this? Okay, it is on now. Okay, let's go back. Maybe they're just not narrating right now. Do not eat the fish. So this whole section of Lake Michigan is, or one of the tributaries is blocked off, but I don't hear anyone talking on this news article. I don't know if this is just a visual maybe. Come on. Or they just don't have the captions running. Like drone footage. Well, I mean, okay, there's some written part here. Come on. This touch technology not working. Okay, that's not letting me access. Let's try it one more time. see more see more it will not let me access so there's that i think i have another article on that though in the future i mean nope i do it's right here it's not a movie so yay upa michigan plant ignored alarm hundreds of times before chemical discharge in river simon drunker drunker um august tenth, an operator ignored then overrode alarm more than four hundred and fifty times ahead of a large toxic chemical spill into Michigan's Huron River last month. Documents filed by state regulators now show this. Tribar manufacturing released approximately ten thousand gallons of material containing approximately five percent hexavalent chromium. Oh now where do we where have we heard hexavalent chromium before? <laughs> Aaron Brockovich, It's a great movie, PG. Hexavalent chromium. So they are repeating the past from Aaron Brockovich's days of PGE with the hexavalent exo- chromium into the wastewater. causes cancer. You could watch a whole movie on it called Aaron Brockovich. Into the wastewater treatment system in the city of Wixom, Michigan on July 29th of this year. The automotive supplier tanks contained a chrome plating solution which contains a potential cancer causing hexavalent chromium. It's a it's an anti rust agent as I understand it. What I remember from that movie, anti corrosive. Extensive exposure to the compound can cause irri- irritation or damage to the eyes and skin if hexavalent chromium contacts with these organs and organs in high concentrations, according to Occupational Safe and Admi- Health Administration. Triber manufacturers Chrome finished car parts, please explain how operator overrode the waste treatment alarms four hundred sixty times between the programmable logic control a timestamp of four fifty nine p m to seven forty six pm reads a violation notice issued Tuesday by the Michigan Department of the Environment, Great Lakes and Energy. Please explain what happened when an alarm is overridden in relation to the on-site waste treatment system starting of tank A through GAC treatment system. Due to the seriousness of the violations, EGLE has initiated accelerated enforcement, which will initiate the administrative consent order process and seek full cost recovery from Tribar. The notice was sent. The notice was second violation note issued since the incident. The company did not report the release until August 1st and said, State says Tribar had not been fully cooperative in the investigation. The state agency has so far has cited company for family to immediate, immediately notify the regulator after discovering the discharge is required under the law, sending an unauthorized discharge of pollutants to the wastewater treatment facility in and- failing to maintain properly updated pollution incident prevention plan. The department's air quality division also filed violations for metal treatment tanks not being properly controlled, which may have allowed unauthorized emissions of nickel and total chromium, total chrome and failure to keep proper records that would document compliance with air permit conditions for various processes. The department found no detectable presence of exovalent chromium and nine surface water samples taken from the river on August 3rd. A no contract order remains in place along the river and within Wixom Wastewater Treatment Facility. State authorities are also expanding their environmental monitoring by testing sewage material from within this facility as well as 29 other states. What's going on with Michigan and the water? Flint was bad enough. Now hexavalent chromium in the Padre River. Michael Moore, I think you need to do a special episode on that, right? if you're not totally disgusted by it all. Okay, let's go back to the environmental. So California, this was a little bit shocking because we're t- supposed to be very good about health and EPA stuff. LA Times, Rosanna, Z- Rosanna Zia, X-I-A, August 4th, history of DDT ocean dumping off LA coast is even worse than expected, EPA finds, after an exhaustive exhaustive historical investigation into the barrels of DDT waste. Reportedly dumped decades ago near Catalina Island, federal regulators concluded that toxic pollution in the deep ocean could be far worse and far more sweeping than what scientists anticipated. Internal memos made public recent that officials from U.S. Environmental Protection Agency determined that acid waste from the nation's largest manufacturer of DDT pesticides, so powerful it poisoned birds and fish, had not been contained, in hundreds of thousands of sealed barrels had. Uh, most of this waste, according to newly unearthed information, had been poured directly into the ocean from massive tank barges. Although shipping records noted that number of discarded barrels, regularly said the word "barrel" appears to refer to unit of volume rather than physical barrel. Further review of old records revealed that other chemicals, as well as millions of other millions of tons of oil drilling waste, had also been dumped decades ago in more than a dozen areas off southern California coast. This is pretty job-dropping in terms of volume and quantities of various contaminants that were dispersed in the ocean, said John Chestnut, a Superfund section manager, who has been leading the EPA's technical team on investigation. This also begs the question, so what's in the barrels? There's still so much we don't know. These revelations build on a much-needed research into DDT's toxic and insidious legacy in California. As many as half a million barrels of DDT waste had not been accounted for in the deep ocean, according to old reports and a UC Santa Barbara study that provided the first real glimpse into how the Los Angeles coast became a chemical dumping ground. Public calls for action have intensified since the Times reported that diochlorophenyl triochloroethylene banned in 1972 is haunting the marine environment today. California sea lions and critical endangered condors, as well as multiple generations of women, continue to be affected by the pesticide in the mysterious ways. Numer- numerous federal, state, and local agencies have since joined with scientists and environmental nonprofit, to figure out what's going on in 3,000 feet underwater. A team led by Scripps University Institute of Oceanography jumps into action last year and started mapping the dump site with advanced technology. Other expedition- expeditions helped pull deep-sea sediment samples and dozens of researchers have conveyed... To discuss how fill, how to fill the most critical data gaps, Congress, at the urge of Senator Dianne Feinstein, has allocated 5.6 million to work on the issue. Governor Gavin Newsom and his finalized budget just matched the federal funding with another 5.6 million. The scope of the pollution has turned out to be startling. In the process of trying to figure out how much DDT was dumped into the deep ocean, regulators discovered that from the 1930s to 1970s, 13 other areas of the southern california coast have been approved for dumping of military explosives radioactive waste various chemical and refinery byproducts including 3 million metric tons of petroleum waste very little is known about these deep water disposals beyond a grainy map from an 1973 technical report that labeled each dump site with a tiny dot or square the fact that we are here more than 50 years later and we don't even know what's in the 14 dump, dump sites other than a summary report in 1973 from the Southern California Coastal Water Research Project? That's not acceptable, said Mark Gold, who's followed DDT problem as a marine scientist since the 90s and currently serves as Newsom's deputy secretary for coastal and ocean policy. It really makes you question, okay, now how big of a problem is deep water ocean dumping along not just the California coast but nationwide? Gold noted there are also more shallow areas off the Palos Verdes Coast and at the mouth of the Dominguez Channel that have been known DDT hotspots for decades. Figuring out how to clean up those contaminated areas and underwater environment has been its own complicated saga. Records also indicate there might be two DDT dump sites. Dubbed Dump Site 1, Dump Site 2, because the company in charge of the disposal may have decided to dump an area different from where it was supposed to. The dumping appears to be sloppy. The Scripps expedition spent two weeks mapping a swath of seafloor larger than the city of San Francisco, but it couldn't find no outer boundary to Dump Site 2. initial sonar... Sonar surveys suggest there still could be thousands of physical barrels underwater filled with who knows what. As far as the mystery of DDT barrels, regulators combined old aerial photos of the Montrose Chemical Corp plant near tor- Torrance and the berth from which the waste haulers set sail. They called on every possible government agency to dig up its records and considered all the logistics that would have gone into transporting half a million physical barrels at the time. Finally, they called up ET- a retired EPA investigator who had been charged charge of looking into the deep sea DDT dumping. He explained that in the 1940s and 50s, local government agencies had asked waste haulers to report their quantities of waste with the default unit of measurement barrels. The exact volume remains unclear, but the standard of the time ranged from 40 due to 55 gallons per barrel. Depending on the industry, it's also likely that we're rounding errors when the companies converted their mass tanks of waste into the barrels and that more chemicals were dumped than logged. Regardless of how the waste got dumped into the ocean, sediment samples so far show the DDT is clearly down there. A lot of it. The big question is now whether the chemicals have been sequestered or embedded into the seafloor well enough to prevent them from remobilizing or whether they've been recirculating in a way that threatens human health in California's marine environment. The EPA has been meeting regularly with key state and federal agencies, the collaborating agencies with the numerous scientists to determine how to focus additional sampling and analysis. In the spirit of transparency and coordination, online records repository was re- recently rec- created to help inform ongoing research as much as possible. Given the interest in DDT dump sites, Some hope the groundbreaking research now underway could help regulators address larger toxicity legacy of deep ocean dumping. There's not an environmental program, particularly federal level, that was designed to address the challenges circumstances of disposal sites pose, says John Lyons, acting deputy director of EPA's Regional Nine Superfund Division. What the collaborating agencies are doing is molding and bending some of our existing program to put together this initial investigation with the hope that it can somehow inform how future investigations or other sites, whether in Southern California or around the country, may be formed and conducted. Alan Chartrand, an ec- 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 ecotoxicologist who first estimated the extent of DDT dumping in the 1980s, said it has been hardening to see so many puzzle pieces from the past finally coming together. It's time to do something, said Chartrand, who, uses, who urged everyone working on the issue to start gathering additional data take more targeted action. There's tons of DDT out there, and we haven't done anything about it. David Valentine, UC Santa Barbara scientist. whose research team first came across dozens of mysterious barrels underwater and It said that not having physical object to search for makes the issue more complicated, even more concerning. If highly acidic DDT waste wasn't considered too bad to dump straight in the ocean, he wondered, what could have been worse that had to be put into an actual barrel? Maybe some of the barrels were bad batches. We don't really know. It could be a whole lot of other stuff, too, said Valentine, who's been thinking of the next step for research in the field in the lab. He recently convened more than 50 scientists, regulatory, and environmental, nonprofit, and conference to share ideas. Oceanographers explained how DDT waste could move up and down the water column, and perhaps even out of Southern California waters depending on the currents and ocean physics, as well as particular size and density. Marine chemists suggest how the waste could react differently with the water depending on acidity. Ecotoxicologists traded with notes on human toxicologists, and everyone asked policymakers what kind of science would be helpful in their efforts to take action. Considering the latest information at in EPA, they discussed the material that got poured in the oceans likely hail or mist of ddt laden particles raining down from the ocean surface. It's been sitting on the seafloor potentially 60, 70 years, Valentine said. What happened to all this material during that time? Has it moved around? Is it working its way back into the ecosystem? Those are things that we really need to start answering. Agreed. Tax dollars at work to find that out. I agree. Important. As hydrogen takes off, bet to win early. To bet early to win big, Luke Lango. The finance world: When heavyweight asset manager BlackRock (BLK) makes move, everyone listens. That's because BlackRock is the world's largest asset manager with about ten trillion dollars in assets under management. If it was its own country, it'd be the third largest economy in the world behind the U.S. and China. Well, BlackRock seems to have made a big move in hydrogen. Specifically, the firm put $200 million into tiny energy company that my team believes will be the next Tesla. That's increased the stake more than 20% over the past few months. BlackRock owns almost 60 million shares of this company. And interestingly, this next Tesla is an EV maker, battery company, charging station builder, or solar project developer. Rather, it's hydrogen company that world's largest asset manager but big on. And since, there's been more rumblings within the, the hydrogen industry. Today, Plug Power and New Fortress Energy announced their agreement to build 120 mega, milliwatt, I guess, MW, uh, industrial-scale green hydrogen plant in Texas. The facility is expected to be one of the most North American's largest, and it also aims to produce more than 50 tons of H2 per day. Indeed, the hydrogen industry is moving moving forward powerfully, and we're still in its early innings. The dawn of a new energy economy. Before we go any further, let me say that, yes, I'm well aware of the backstory in hydrogen. I've been touted as a viable clean energy source since the 1970s, yet then it hasn't much to do with anything as far as powering our world goes past 50 years in hydrogen economy have been characterized by little more than a series of false starts. But there comes a time where each new technology has its moment. Previously unproven tech provides proves itself and it goes on to change the world. Hydrogen is having its moment. <laughs> We sit amid, I'm just laughing because it's like, no, it's been proven a long time ago. It's always toxic industry that controls the, the floodgates there. We all sit amid a global energy crisis. Fossil fuels won't fix it, nor will solar wind power. What will? Hydrogen. And to understand why, we need to revisit chemistry 101. Chemistry look back. Recall the periodic table. Hydrogen is the lightest element in the universe. As such, you can fit a lot more H atoms into a finite space than, say, lithium atoms. Therefore, power sources made with hydrogen will be infinitely more energy dense than one made with something else. In transportation markets, more energy density means fuel cells have longer driving ranges and faster refill times than batteries. Therefore, hydrogen vehicles should drive farther, recharge faster, and last longer than EVs. In stationary markets, it means they have more consistent and robust power output. Hydrogen storage solutions should provide more reliable backup power for data centers and utility companies in battery energy storage systems. And in energy markets, it means hydrogen fuel is more transportable. It can be pumped through natural gas pipelines, while other clean energies cannot. Make no mistake, hydrogen has some enormous value adds in the clean energy world. So much so that my team and I believe our world will inevitably be powered by it. Trucks, planes, ships, heat our homes, backup power, hydrogen, everything. Yeah, and I think you probably can make it anywhere. You don't have to be dependent on foreign oil, right? No need for, you know... Black African slave children in the Democratic Republic of Congo to mine cobalt for electric car batteries. When you got hydrogen, right? Right, China? Because that's what you're doing with your black slaves. That's what you're doing. That was, uh, I think, a few days ago on this uh, podcast, if you want to check that out. Uh, Alas, the astute investor will ask the point, why now? After all, the periodic table hasn't changed for 50 years, so why did hydrogen take over in the 2020s? We believe the stars have finally aligned, and the hydrogen economy will tip into hypergrowth mode this year. Of course, the elephant in the room is the Russia-Ukraine war. This has sent oil and natural gas prices to nearly unaffordable levels, yet solar and wind aren't quite there yet in their ability to allow the world to fully end fossil fuel dependence. So in steps, hydrogen. The energy source is simultaneously clean and cheap and yet powerful, plentiful enough to fill the world's power demand. Aw, did Toxic Energy just go, (laughs) they did, they're crying. The geopolitical backdrop has never been more favorable than it is today. At the same time, the costs have plummeted, too, with advanced tech and economies of sale, econ- economies of sale, scale. H2 fuel cells' costs have dropped 60% over the past 10 years. Deloitte expressed these costs to drop below electric, battery, and combustion engine costs within a few years. The tech has dramatically improved. Technology breakthroughs are falling. Renewable energy costs have led to a new era of scalable green hydrogen production. Now it can be produced from renewable energy sources, like solar and wind, cost-effectively, it's no longer reliant on natural gas, which is historically used to produce most hydrogen. In other words, while the periodic table hasn't changed in the past 50 years, everything else has. And for the first time, all the growth drivers have shown up at the same time. In the words of Matthew Blaiskly, Shell, Hydro Shell's global hydrogen product manager, in the past there was a policy missing or technology wasn't quite ready, oh BS, or people were not so serious about decarbonization, OMG, this is not true. It was all toxic industries, dollar interest, so please don't even try that. We don't see those barriers anymore. Yeah, I'm sure you don't. Okay, the hydrogen economy will tip into long overdue renaissance in the 2020s, creating what Morgan Stanley sees as $11 trillion hydrogen market in the coming decades. Final word on hydrogen: the history of hydrogen as viable clean energy source is riddled with empty promises and broken dreams. Uh Uh-huh. But this time is different. Finally, hydrogen is ready to reshape the world energy landscape with ultra-affordable, energy-dense, reliable, and transportation clean energy. Yeah, my bus. I take my bus every day, and nearly every day. And hydrogen, yeah. It's emerging when every country in the world looks to achieve energy independence. And consequently, it's the only energy source that's able to do that in a cost-effective way. Investors who bet early on this revolution will win big. And our innovation and investor portfolio, we're betting big, but that's not all. Along with next tax Lab, we're also owning one tiny stock, $3. It's pioneering a forever battery. Together with hydrogen, just make sure it's not made in China. No forever batteries made in China, please. Together with hydrogen will help redefine the world's energy grid over the next decade. A big winner of our topic of our top hydrogen stock will be this tiny forever battery Your stock could be even a bigger one. You know we just really have all the answers. It's just always been controlled by you know the toxic fossil fuel oil industry, so I'm like slow clap, but I'm glad it's there, you know, but slow clap, but oh but good, but about time, way over time, <laughs> out of time, and we'll see. Residents of California County will be asked to consider secession on November ballot. California County Board plans to ask if residents want to consider seceding from the state. San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors voted 4 0 to place the measure on the November ballot. We don't want to spend our taxpayer dollars to go do a study of what we are or not getting as a county, and go fight for it in the way that we haven't done before. These options could include secession. I'm never a fan of it. the people of San Bernardino County want San Bernardino elective residents to study and advocate for all options to pay county's fair share of funding, and up to including secession from the state of California. The idea of secession is arose when Jeff Burham Rancho Cucamonga businessman asked supported board in his November ballot an initiative to tell the California we need to consider seceding from the state. I promise you we'll get an affirmative vote. Okay. And then the fires come in and then who's gonna pay for that? If you're not part of the state. Just, you know, wondering. While well, not all members of the on Board of Secession they were interested in exploring whether County was receiving equitable state funding. I'm not for seceding for the state, says Supervisor Joe Baca Jr. I'm proud to be from California. I love California. I love San Bernardino County. It's not what I want to do. I would think it's not what most of us want to do that are sensible. There's nothing crazy at all about being angry what's happening to the Golden State, she said. Our residences are better from California than what they're getting. This measure will give them the opportunity to express that. I mean, if it's just a political expression there's other ways to do that, darling Janice Rutherford from McClatchy news. Um, you don't need to secede from the nation. You don't need to secede from the state. You don't need to secede from anything to make your point. You need to go out and vote. You need to vote for things that will move the needle for your values. Vote, not secede. And then the fires come and then you have no money left because everything burned down in your community. And who do you expect to bail you out if you're seceding from the state? Are you then becoming part of Washington, D.C.? I don't know, which is not its own state, as I understand it. But what would you be part of if you're seceding, if, if a county secedes from the state? Just the federal government? Maybe they have a condition that you have to be part of a state to receive federal funding, perhaps. So I I don't know that in these days of climate change with the disasters and floods and earthquakes and, you know, fires all the time, especially in my state, California, and all of what's going down, we can just be that moody. Okay. So instead of being moody and wanting to cause a ruckus and secede from the nation, Texas, you too, because you do this all the time with the seceding drama, um, you know, vote, go out and vote. Voting is always very low participatory. If you go to vote, it might actually raise what it is that you want. Okay? I'm not ever for seceding anything. It's ridiculous. I think it's moronic and emotional and nonsensical, and there's other ways to get your point across if you're dissatisfied. Okay. So that's my thoughts on it. You can't secede and also then ask for handouts. It doesn't work. Um, let's see. Let's talk about, I don't know. Well, let's see about this. Um, let's not, because I want to see if there's more articles. It's a little bit... mm. Supreme Court of Montana. Let me write that down. Montana Okay, so the Hill. Montana Montana Supreme Court upholds ruling blocking abortion restrictions. So kind of following, I think, in the spirit of text of Cantus. By Olaf Ocean, Tuesday. Montana Supreme Court upheld a lower court's ruling that temporarily blocks further restrictions on abortion. Planned Parenthood in a statement Tuesday announced that Montana Supreme Court blocked three separate laws that were enacted during the state's legislative session last year from taking effect. One of the laws would have banned abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy, while another would have created numerous barriers to medical abortion. And a third would have implemented a mandatory ultrasound offer and documentation requirement for those seeking an abortion. A district court in September blocked these three laws from taking effect. Planned Parenthood's Montana chapter filed an initial lawsuit challenging them. We're pleased that the Montana Supreme Court ruled today to uphold the preliminary injunction put in place by district court in the, in the fall. This means that the three anti um, three anti-abortion laws remain unenforceable, including a 20-week ban. Planned Parenthood of Montana's chapter president CEO Martha Stahl said in a statement, "The court upheld the Armstrong decision, which the state and had requested to be overturned, and the abortion remains illegal. and abortion remains legal in Montana." Legal in Montana. So it is following like, like Kansas. Protected by our constitutional right to privacy. This is a victory for our right to make personal medical decisions free from the interference of government, Still must add. The decision in Montana comes after Kansas voters last week soundly rejected an effort by Republicans in the state to strip abortion rights from Kansas' Constitution. Last month, federal judge in Louisiana ruled that abortion services in the state could resume blocking the state legislature from enforcing a so-called trigger ban. Good. So see, just as Joe Biden predicted, Kansas is not going to be the only one. This will just sum up. California public schools start offering free meals to all students, regardless of income. All public schools in California will begin offering free meals to students in 2022 to 2023 school year. Although some some school districts already do that, funding from the state budget will. Doesn't mean you have to eat it, but you can. allow schools to do the same. All schools. Universal Meals Program. Which seeks to expand on the Federal National School Lunch and School Breakfast Program. They'll be n- supplied nutritionally adequate breakfast and lunch for all students, regardless of their eligibility for free or reduced-price meals. In the past, students qualified for free meals from the schools according to certain criteria, such as parents' income taxes, zip code, where their family resided in level of poverty in the school surrounding area. In 2021, the state legislator, Governor Gavin Newsom, approved a one-time funds for public schools to expand their nutrition service and kitchen capabilities to prepare for the induction, introduction of universal meals program. I mean, I can see there's not a lot of talk about why it's happening. That was, did I give you the, the deets on that? That was citing here. Oh, that was KX, KTXL TV Sacramento by Megan Campo Novo last Tuesday. One thing that comes to mind they didn't discuss in that is obviously if it's offered to everyone, there's not a stigma associated with getting a free lunch. So certainly in my generation, you had to qualify and have low income to be able to get whatever a certain kind of color of a card or something to be able to get the free lunch. And if you didn't have that, then you'd have to pay. Um, And so that can contribute with stigma a little bit if if you're a kid and you have the free lunch versus you don't. That can be a separating barrier. They didn't talk about that in the article, but that's something that comes to mind. Also, if someone... You know, it can help offset extra costs for families that are busy or families that don't have time to do the preparation of lunch um, or want to just save money. You know, it's kind of fair for everybody. So I think it's a great program. That's great. Free meals for everybody, and then it equalizes it too, so you're not marginalizing certain groups because they have a different color of a meal ticket than maybe somebody else right? So they didn't mention that, but I'm mentioning that because this is why I do this podcast, because I want to fill in the blanks of what isn't being talked about. Right. And I'm not afraid to, I think it's an equalizing method. I think it's a great idea. Um, yeah. So that was all the environmental and now I am officially caught up and I have 15 minutes to spare. Wow, I'm actually caught up with all my political news. Man. Yeah. You know, hydrogen is the future, definitely, because it's something everyone can create, like the free lunch program, <laughs> that taking that analogy it can make it can be a great equalizer with different countries that have been economically disadvantaged, right? So if everyone can create hydrogen in every country in the world and everyone can have their own power and everyone, you know, that is a significant increase of the quality of life on the planet, right? Especially since it's green energy and is not toxic. Um, it's a great answer for climate change. And it's a great, a great equalizer for social injustice and economic injustice on a worldwide scale, right? Um, which is incredibly valuable, you know, for countries to be able to rely on their own power produced by the hydrogen um, will help mitigate. Um, less need for wars to some degree. I think there's always going to be some need for some conflict, and certainly while all the autocrats are, you know, thriving, like China and Russia. I don't know if Russia's thriving, but existing. Um, North Korea, Hezbollah, Ayatollah, and these autocrats and um, you know communist countries. Once they're you know uh, removed from World War Three, that will come. That will remove them. And there are failed governments, and we say goodbye to the czardoms, and we say bye-bye to the dynasties, um, and we, you know, all in, you know, uh, put in gov- uh, democratic parliaments, ideally of regional design, of the, reflecting the ethnicities of the groups that have already started that, um, you know, then more equity will come for the world. <sighs> more independence, less, um, chronic poverty in regions that have always had to rely on everybody else's charity, if you get my meaning to subsist, you know, the charity subsistence model can't continue. Um, it has to be about helping groups to really become self-sufficient. Um, I just see really good things, but I see a necessary step to attaining the really good things is the war to come, to wipe out the autocrats, because they just don't speak the language of diplomacy, they don't speak the language of anything but retaining their own power regimes, and that just doesn't work with America and our allied governments, who yes, we care about our power regimes too, but our government systems are far more equitable um, and allow our citizens at least to vote. And, and I mean, China's voting is police. Voter will kill you. <laughs> Voter will kill your family. Voter, th- that's not the same at all. I mean, that presidency you got another term. Come on. please, rigged. I'm talking about real democracies where there's a real reflection of people's, you know, interest. Not perfect. Certainly, my country is not the best in terms of a government structure. I would say, you know, I love America. Don't get me wrong. I love America. I love, I love what it can become and what it, what it, what it can aspire to. But I don't love the government structure of it. It's complicated. It's clunky. It's awkward. No one knows what it really. Anything, you know, you'd have to be a super expert, and even then, you know, it's too complicated. Whereas other, you know, parliaments like London and, sorry, um, like the UK, France, and others are far more understandable, right? And they can get more done because they were designed to get more done. America was never designed to get a lot done. America's government was deliberately set up with all these checks and balances to deliberately create a lot of busy work. Without getting too much done too fast, too soon. That was actually the intention of the founding fathers. Let's create a system that's somewhat democratic, that still has electoral college in case there's like a wild leader that wants to like fool a lot of people. And oh, we already had that. That was President Trump. <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't know if that worked. Electoral college, it kind of backfired, actually. But. <laughs> We have all these, you know, systems so that, you know, there's a lot of effort in getting a bill, you know, passed even, and a lot of busy work and a lot of, um, looking, everybody look busy, please. And then let's not get a lot done right away. And to get a lot done, you're going to have to work really, really, really hard and coordinate very well because it's not, we're not going to make it easy for you. This is all founding fathers, you know, design. They could have just replicated, you know, the European system. Right. Or something similar to that, and then not had all these specifics, but we're, we're rather trapped in the confines of our founding fathers makings that we're trying to work through with these constitutional amendments, you know, but it's not, you know, it's not superior compared to European governments or Australian governments or Canadian governments. They're all superior in the sense that they can get a lot done quicker, faster, and respond to climate change better than our government can. Especially when you have a huge side of it that's a vested interest in toxic industry. Which now, I don't know, toxic industry seems to be bowing and stepping away, looking with darting eyes at hydrogen. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I just find it amazing. It's like, yeah, no, it's been around for a while. Thanks that you're allowing it now? (laughs) I mean, interesting. I love the shell... The Shell's response to that, well, you know, now we, have, we don't have those barriers anymore. It's like, <laughs> because you're not so busy trying to kill off all the scientists' inventions that are, we're buying them off to, you know, avoid the patents to actually make them, you know, really usable to your little monopoly over there. <laughs> I love that. The cover-up. The poorly constructed cover-up of Shell. And all Chevron, every guy. Yeah. Well, we've just never had those barriers. It's like, you put up the barriers. You were part of the barriers. You were the barriers. <laughs> your, your vested interests were the barriers. So apparently those barriers are now getting beaten back. By who, though? The UN? I don't know. I'm glad. I've been waiting this whole time. I mean, like, I'm going to be 47. And environmental global warming from, you know, what's his name? The unsung hero of Tennessee, Al Gore. You know, I've heard environmental my whole life. I mean, I think since I was a teenager, it's been environmental science, like as the forefront of a topic of, you know, everything all the time. In 2022, here we are, finally starting to investigate the ever present, always available, could have started a long time ago hydrogen option. (laughs) you know of course led under Democratic leadership of course you know Trump wanted to bring back coal gonna bring back coal gonna bring back coal long black long yeah (laughs) you know so I mean Democrats are very valuable to this country and some Republicans don't appreciate us the way they should And when we do make significant contributions, they still don't. I don't know if it's pride. I don't know if it's shame. I don't really know what it is. But we do quite a lot for this country, actually. What we need to improve on is our messaging to be able to say how much we love the country. And that's the motivation for all this progress that we want to do. And that, you know, acts of service, in terms of acts of progression... Not the ones that fail, but the ones that actually we try and succeed. Defund the police was a failure. But we tried it. Didn't work. Um, um, But others do work. And the whole point of the progression of it is not coming out of a hatred of America. It's coming out of a love. A deep love for America. It's like a house. America is your house. Well, Democrats want to progress the house. They want to build additions. Yeah, that costs money. We spend. Okay, but we want to invest. You know, we want to improve the type of energy that's using to run the house. We want to make it more efficient. We want to make it less toxic. We may want to consult about different ways of, you know, organizing a home. And maybe organizing a unit of family beyond the nuclear unit. Leon the on the family family that was the nuclear traditional unit that lives in the home. So all these things come, all these progressions of society and our planet and our home, America, come from love of country and love of people. And I would love Republicans to start to understand that. You know, anyone can throw his hands up, have orange hair and say, made it, you know, make America great again. And anyone can say, you know, uh, America first. Clinton said it before, before but uh, Trump. You know, anyone can language, right? And that's, feels good and lovey-dovey and, you know, you feel warm and tub and the, you know, in those, and I've heard that these Trump rallies are like big tub of love fests, like love bomb fests. You know, okay, so, but from a democratic point of view, maybe we're not as lovey dovey, maybe we're not as touchy feely in that way. Maybe we're not as mushy gooshy in the patriotic emotionalism. But everything about the progress and the whole point of why we bother to even try to progress does come from a love of country and a love for the people in the country and beyond the country, too. So I'm not saying we always get it right, but I'm saying look at our love for America. And sure, there are leftists, there is a faction. It's not the majority of us, but there is absolutely a faction of left extremists that completely hate this country yes that don't appreciate it yes that want it to go down with the ship yes that want to sabotage it 100% that don't mind selling out to the Chinese left right and center 100% that don't mind um, not only not being a solution to the Dems but that are doing stuff and are voting but are actually anti and are making it worse and then just suddenly won't leave I would love them to leave You know, swift ticket to Canada, swift ticket to anywhere else. So there is that in the Democratic Party. I'm not going to say there isn't. There is. But it's not the majority of us. They're loud like the far right. They get attention like the far right. And they don't have a love of this country. They're filled with um, inequity, hate, frustration, looking at all the negative, and perpetually miserable. And that is a real thing in the far left. There's a segment of that. Yeah. I don't think Michael Moore is like that level, but he's a few steps away from that level. Because, you know, we don't compare up to our, you know, the other democratic socialist type countries. Right. So go to those democratic socialist countries if you want that as your standard. Don't be continually frustrated and mad and upset and bringing all the negativity here because we're not like that. We can become more like that to a certain degree, but that has to be done, you know, with group consensus, not with, you know, this type of Left at far left hatred, you know. So, a lot of Republicans perceive the far left as just absolutely un American and hating America with no respects to the veterans at all, and completely ungrateful and completely unappreciative of what this country does offer them. And I think a lot of people would like some of the far left to leave and go and just really explore and experience other places, and then make an informed decision of whether it's all that bad. Or, if it is, then sayonara, enjoy your new life. If it isn't, you may come back with a newfound appreciation and join the Central Dems, because we're not leaving. We love America, we're staying here, we say it. Uh, I don't know if we say it enough, but we do, and our whole impetus for progress comes from a love of country. And if the Republicans can understand that, then we can have a common bridge of love of country, not just because somebody is flailing their arms saying, you know, America first, but by actions, speaking louder than words. Okay, folks, thank you.